back there recording, so just playing sound man tonight, but I think we'll be okay. Uh, James, uh, what we know about the book of James, it was probably written somewhere between 65 A.D. and 85 A.D., just to give you a little background. Um, first century church. The author of the book is, of course, James. That's pretty self-explanatory, which is not always the case in the, in the uh, New Testament. It's not always just the person's name, but uh, uh, in this case it is. It's not James the Apostle, uh, the brother of John, not to be mistaken, not, not that James. And it's not uh, James, uh, the son of Alphaeus, but it's most scholars believe that the writer of James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. Um, and uh, it's interesting to me because James really didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah till after he was resurrected. His, his own family members, I think, maybe because they knew him as a young child. I don't know, or whatever the case, or I'm not sure. He doesn't go into that. He doesn't go back to his history, but there is definitely a, a difference in James in, uh, after Jesus is, is resurrected. And he, uh, he became so convinced that Jesus was the Son of God that he became a leader in the early church. And we know that from Acts chapter 15. You can go back and uh, look at that. And so, and what we need to know, I mean, to kind of give a context of what's going on, the early church can be split into two groups. So uh, if you're looking at your New Testament, how it's written, how it's, uh, you can break it into two groups. James was part of what we call the southern group, and uh, their, his ministry was based out of Jerusalem. James being uh, a Hebrew and uh, being of Jewish descent, uh, descent uh, we know that. Uh, also in this group would be Peter um, and to a lesser degree uh, John, the Apostle John. And their style of ministry was a little bit different than the other writers in the New Testament. It was a little more pointed, a little more strict, a little straight to the point. If you, Has anyone ever read? Uh, well, if you, you'll find out in James, he's pretty straightforward with how he feels. He's going to tell you what, what, how the cow ate the cabbage straight up. Uh, same thing with Peter. Peter didn't mince words. He said what he wanted to say, and if it hurt your feelings, so be it. Now, um, uh, if you look at, and John to a certain extent was that way, uh, but if you look at the other writers whose ministries were located in northern Israel in Antioch would be Paul the Apostle and uh, Barnabas and uh, Silas. And so their ministry was based out of the north. Their doctrine was a little bit more grace-related, okay? Uh, Paul was a little more elo eloquent with his words. He said what he needed to say, but he also did it in a way that was a little bit uh, more comforting, I guess. Not all the time. Sometimes he was pretty direct and straight. Uh, but we, we need to know that and understand that. Both groups, um, you need both of those. In your relationship with God, you need the people that are going to tell you like you need to hear it, and then you also need people that are going to give you grace when you need to have grace. And it's kind of like neither one is wrong because they're they're both walking this fine line. Um, but we need to understand that both of them bring tension. It's like a trampoline; you need tension on both sides to make it work. If it's not, if there's not tension on this side and that side, you know, kind of like our boy, this is a good time to say, kind of like our country, we need tension on both sides. To make it work. Okay, I'll leave that right there. Um, <laughs> but uh, so we to understand James coming into the book of James, we understand that he is direct on discipline. He's 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 just straightforward. Uh, so you know, I can just tell you this: buckle up, put your helmet on, soften your heart, because James just kind of tells it like it is. If it hurts your feelings, don't get mad at me. Get mad at James, the brother of Jesus. Okay. Um, and he makes reference to the Old Testament 40 times in this book, which shows us that, number one, he knew the word of God. And it also tells us that he, uh, he is showing kind of his Jewish descent there. I, I understand what happened in the Old Testament. I'm making reference to that. Um, James was known in the early church as old camel knees. You know what that means? Um, he was a man of prayer. And that he prayed so much that he had knots. Or, uh, you know, kind of like a, does anybody have an old dog? You can have an old dog when they kneel and they, they lay down so much, they have calluses. Well, 
That's what James, he prayed. He was a man of prayer so much that he was known as camel knees because he, his knees were just wore out because he just would constantly be in prayer. So that says a lot about him. I don't know about you, but I think we need more people that have calluses on their knees today. Amen? Uh, he was disciplined in prayer. So knowing that James leans towards discipline, I'd advise you to just kind of do this. Soften your heart. Say, God, what, what do you want to speak to me? Uh, through this word, and uh, know that nothing that, that is said tonight is, I'm not targeting you, uh, but the word of God is targeting you, and uh, just open up your heart. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your word. Um, we are just grateful for so many lessons in the Bible, but Lord, just uh, I pray, Lord, that in this new year, Lord, that you would reveal to us um, your divine plan and your divine word in our hearts. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just begin to... Uh, Help us to lay aside every weight and sin, Lord, that's besetting us. God, I pray, Lord, that we can run with patience. God, this race that you've called us to in 2021, God, I pray, Lord, that we focus our eyes on you and not what's around us and not what we're hearing and not what we see, but focus our eyes and our attention on you. In the mighty name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. All right, so we're going to break this down. There's three, three portions in this chapter, James chapter 1, and we're going to break it into three, three things. Hopefully we'll get through all of them tonight. If we don't, um, you can blame Tristan on that, okay? I'm just kidding. I, we're going to try our best to get through this. Uh, James chapter 2 is much shorter, so, so next week may be a, a little bit different. Um, James chapter 1, verse 1 says this, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's stop right there. <laughs> I'm going to do this all night long, so just 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 bear with me here. Um, and and the way I'm going to teach this is is line by line, just like it's written. Okay, and sometimes there's there's two types of, of teaching. There's topical teaching, which which is beneficial, and then there's expository teaching, which uh, expository is is really interesting because it kind of gives the depth, and you find out exactly what that chapter is talking about. And so that's what we're going to be doing tonight. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if it was me and I was starting this book and I was the brother of Jesus Christ, I think I would have put that in the intro. I wouldn't have said the servant of, uh, of, the, of the Lord Jesus. I would have said also the half-brother of Jesus, just so you know. But it's interesting to me that old camel knees here is humble enough to not even um, call in the family favor there. And to put Jesus at the top of, of this. And I think that's pretty interesting to me. Um, I don't know. You might have. I would have started it different. I think I would have definitely did that. Um, and he doesn't tell everyone there that, that, that he's close to Jesus. His credentials are this. And this is what he says. I, I, these are my credentials. I'm a servant of God. And your credentials today are you are a servant of God. No different than James here. And I like that, and, and, and though he's disciplined in his approach, he's very humble, and you kind of start that way. Uh, so this is what he says, the second part of that verse says, to the 12 tribes in, the, in their dispersion, greetings. And other translations here say that the 12 tribes that are scattered, talking about the Jewish people, they've been scattered. And so he's talking here to the early church, to people who have been scattered, uh, you know, across and he says these words, greetings, and greetings in um, this time literally means hello. No different than today. <laughs> Sometimes we overthink the, the scripture, but it literally just means, hey, to all you people that are scattered. Now, you don't understand that the 12 tribes here that are scattered that, and the Jewish people that, that James is, is, is writing to here, and he's writing to us today, but he's, he's specifically writing to them at this time. Um, they're, they're struggling. Uh, the early church was persecuted left and right. They were dealing with persecution. We think that we are going through persecution here in America now. Can I tell you, the early church, many of them died for their faith in God. All the disciples, look that up. And all of them died except for John, to my knowledge. John uh, died of old age. But... Uh, and they tried to kill him. They put him in a boiling pot. He didn't boil. Um, but look at that. And so, and so he's writing to all these people who are being persecuted to encourage them, to love on them. And they are indeed the early church. So that's the first portion. So the second portion of this chapter, and we're going to start here, is the testing of your faith. 
And you can write this down if you're a note taker. The testing of your faith. This is going to cover verses 2 all the way through 18. Um, one thing about testing is it, it builds us. I was thinking about this. When you take a test at the end of your school year, your sophomore year, you might take a test that determines if you can make it to the 11th grade, right? If you pass that test, guess where you get to go? To the 11th grade. If you don't pass that test, where do you go? Summer school, or you go back to the 10th grade. And so this is what we know. Testing of your faith, it builds your faith, and we need to understand that. Um, let me see here. i got to find verse, verse 2. Is it verse 2? Do you have it right there? There it is. I didn't, I didn't actually put it in here. This is crazy. So it says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Stay right there. Back to verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And I might add, uh, just to be, uh, just to be uh, politically correct, when he says brothers there, it actually can be translated to brothers and sisters, just so you know. Um, he's talking about a group, not just specifically men there. Uh, count it all joy. So I don't know about you. When you go through a, a various trial, how many of you count it all joy? When your marriage is on the rocks, how many of you count it all joy? When you don't have any money in your bank account, how many of you have counted it all joy? When things aren't going your way, how many of you have counted it all joy? Now, I like this because James, he comes out with boxing gloves on, like straight up, hey, how are you guys doing? Count it all joy. Now, remember who he's talking to here. He's talking to a scattered group of people who are being persecuted. And he's saying this, count it all joy right there. When you meet trials of various, uh, of various kinds. So I don't know about you. Um, I, I have trouble with that. You know why? Because I'm a person. I'm selfish. And if it's not easy for me, guess what? I'm, I'm selfish about that. And I, I want it to be easy for me. And you're the same way. Whether you realize it or don't realize it, you know. Um, think back. When you, sometimes when you don't get your way. Even as adults, sometimes we pout when we don't get our way. Have you, ever done, have you ever done that? Have you ever been that way? And we're that way with God. Well, God, you didn't answer my prayer the way I thought that you should answer my prayer. And we pout. And really, you know, and we know one thing, that joy comes from the Lord, right? And happiness comes from the word happenings, which means if you are happy about something, that means that something happened, which the, to the opposite side of that means something bad could happen, which can make you sad. But joy comes from the Lord, which is, you know, and you've heard me talk about that, you know, when I say rejoice in the Lord always, that means joy again, joy again. That is something that comes from heaven. That's not something that comes from a specific event that has happened in your life. It just comes from God, um, you know. Uh, the kingdom of God is, you know, is righteousness, peace, and joy, right? It's, I mean, it says that in Scripture. So here comes, here comes uh, James up front. He's very blunt, counted all joys. And um, I don't know about you, but I struggle with finding joy in trials. Um, James, his, his, dro his joy and trials really shouldn't go together if you think about it. Th th that should go together like, I don't know, what's two things that don't go? Oil and water, right? They just really don't mix. But here's James encouraging us, uh, and hence the word trial right there. So uh, let's go to verse, verse 3. No, go back to verse 2. I'm sorry. I don't have it in here, so that's why I'm confused. All right. So count it all. When you meet trials of various kinds. So let's look at the second portion of that. When you meet trials of various kinds. Um, James, he's talking about trials, hence the word trial. And if you have a newer translation, how many of you have a newer translation, maybe an ASV, an NKJV, ESV, NIV? Does it say trials in your Bible? I have an NLT Bible, and it, it, and it, it, said, um, it said something different, and I can't think of what it is. Uh, how many have a King James Version? Anybody have a King James Version in here? What's it say? Temptation. Oh, so... Translations here are, are, are varying. Um, I believe the NLT says uh, problems or something. Is that right? Troubles? Okay, I knew, it was, I knew it was something like that. So we got trials, troubles, and temptations. And, uh, and here's what we need to know about that word 
temptation or trial, whatever, whatever, if we go to the Greek word, that literally means trial, temptation. Same thing. They're not, they're not arguing. They're not two different things. But I want you to look at these two words in a perspective that maybe, maybe you haven't looked at them. And I, as I was studying this, I was reminded of this. Um, uh, these two things can mean, can, can mean two different things. It's how you see them. Now, we know this, that uh, trials, the word trials, um, I, want, I want you to get this in your heart. And, and you, you, might, you might freak out, but don't freak out on me right here, okay? Right now, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay a truth bomb. God will allow trials in your life. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. Just because you're saved, you're not exempt from trials. In this world, you know, Jesus said you will have trials. You'll have, you'll have issues. Just so you know, that's just the nature of life. Now, the difference between a believer and a non-believer is you have Jesus to help you get through that trial versus, versus when you don't. And I find strength in that. See, God will allow trials to do this, and this is how God works. When he sends a trial, he does it to do this, to strengthen your faith. The trial has nothing to do uh, with trying to get you to sin or try to get you to mess up, but is literally just to strengthen your faith. It's like a person who goes to the gym. You're never going to get strong unless you put some resistance against you. You know, I'm never going to get strong if I act like I'm lifting dumbbells, air dumbbells, doing this. Now, it might be a good aerobic exercise, but it's not going to make me any stronger. But if I add a 45 pound, let's talk in faith, an 85 pound dumbbell and begin to lift, guess what? I'm, I'm eventually going to start getting stronger and stronger. And so trials are kind of like resistance. So God allows trials to happen. Now, here's this is what we need to know. Satan will seek to exploit that trial and turn it into a temptation. I want you to look at these two words, trial and temptation. Everyone say trial, temptation, okay? Temptation, that's, they're, now, in, they're the same word there in the Greek, but I want you to look at this in two different perspectives. God works, and he'll use trials. Satan works in temptation. Now, the difference between temptation and trial is temptation is, is something that makes us trip up. And we'll get to that in just a minute. And Satan works in temptations. Now, conversely, Satan will throw, I don't know what I just did. Satan will throw temptations at you, right, each and every day. How many are tempted every day? Maybe by your own lust, maybe by your own ability. We're all tempted, right? Uh, but Satan works in temptation. Conversely, Satan will throw a temptation at you. But here's what I know. When we are tempted, God sometimes will allow that temptation to be a trial for us. Now, we need to understand what and you're like, hey, hang on, TJ. You're going really fast. What's the difference here? Satan wants to use, and you can write this down. In, in a temptation, Satan wants to use an event or a temptation to tear you down and wipe you out. That's, that's his whole goal. His whole goal is to destroy you. His whole goal is to take you. He already knows his, his end result is he's going to be thrown into hell, and that's going to be his eternity. His whole goal is to take you with him. He does not care about you. He is a liar. He'll tell you whatever you want to hear. He'll try to fulfill every, every one of your lusts that you desire. When I say lust, I'm not just talking specifically about lust of the spirit. I'm talking about your desires, whether good or bad. He, he will throw those things temptation. But God, on the other hand, wants to use the same event, a trial, to show his faithfulness. Now, there's the difference. God uses trials to show his faithfulness to just show how faithful it is. So you say, okay, TJ, well, show me where that is in the Bible. I'll give you a good example. I'm glad you asked that. You're welcome. It's straight up, right? So in the book of Job, we see Satan. Remember, he goes, he goes to God and he says, hey. And he makes a deal with the Lord about, about Job. And he throws every temptation at Job, right? And God allows this trial to happen to Job. Now, most of us quit on our trials and our, you know, when we're given just a little bit. But Job, man, tell you what, he must have really, truly loved the Lord. I was talking to Tristan about this. And he loses his family. He's afflicted physically. He lost all his riches. And 
you remember, and God, and, and through all that, God is still showing his faithfulness to Job. I don't know about you, I probably would have wavered a little bit. Job's a better man than I am, most likely, right? But Job was tempted to curse God. You remember his wife, and she said, curse God and die. But God sustained him all the way through it. Now, Satan will be there on, an, on day one of a trial to make it a temptation. What does temptation look like? You get a, you get a doctor's report. Doesn't look, doesn't, or a trial, and you get a doctor's report. Maybe it doesn't look good. The temptation is, oh, well, maybe you're dying. Well, maybe I'm not. You know, you, worst case scenario, already, you know, the devil may be putting fear in your heart and fear in your life to make you think that you're going to fail. And he, if he can control your mind, if he can control your heart with fear and with lies, guess what? We're just his puppet. Literally. Literally. So Satan, he, you know, uh, we know that. So, and here's what I know. I, I think this is cool because, remember, Job's wife said, Job, you should just curse God and die. But I, the flip, flip side to that statement is, if you can curse God and die, surely you could bless him and live. And oftentimes we get stuck on the cursing of, of things and not the blessing of things. See, God's economy is different. And sometimes our eyes get moved and glazed over with temptation and we see things the way that the devil wants us to see things but really God is saying oh if you look at my economy if you look at the way that I operate you're going to see things in a whole different light this is about elevating in 2021 one of the things that I want to do is elevate myself spiritually you say well that sounds really cool well what I want to do is I want to see things like Christ sees things I in my finite mind, right now, with everything going on in the world, I, I don't even understand. But you know what I do know? I can put my trust in God. I can put my faith in Him. And I believe that God, God's economy, the big picture of things, God will take care of me because His Word says He never leave me, He never forsake me. Amen? And so knowing that, so here's what verse 3 says this. So moving on. There's 27 verses. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to fly through these fast, okay? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So go back to this. Remember, this is being written to the Jewish believers who were scattered throughout the Roman Empire and beyond. We are to count it all joy when we go through trials, number one. Why? Because seeing God's faithfulness manifested in our situation will be made entire and complete. Why do we count it all joy? Because when we look at God and how he's going to manifest in our situation, we're going to be okay. Regardless of what the outcome looks like. And this is what we know. When God uh, is manifested in our situ situation and we're made entire and complete, this is what happens to us as believers. We are made mature. The testing of your faith grows you when you take a test again at the end of the school year you pass that test you get to go up to the next level and that is what God is doing with us when we're given trials when we're given various situation he's saying here's the test and you know what's cool about God when we fail the test he allows us to retake the test how many has ever failed a test oh some of you are lying up in here no I'm just kidding I don't know that uh, but God is faithful, and when we mess up, he allows us to, to retake the test. How many times did the children of Israel mess up in the desert? Forty years. Most scholars believe that that should have taken them just days. Forty years wandering in the desert. And God, uh, God is so gracious to us. I don't know about you. I'm so glad that God is gracious to me. So we know this. That will become mature. Maturity only comes through testing, and steadfastness literally means patience. Oh, I hate that word. How many have ever prayed for patience? Don't do it. You don't know what you're asking for. You know what? When you start praying for patience, guess what? God will put that person who is doing 25 and a 55 in front of you. God will put that person who's going straight in the right-hand turning lane when you need to turn right. I'm speaking to myself there, right? They're all traffic things, so that's me, all right? 
But God is producing steadfastness or patience in us. And I say, hey, God, help me. Help me each and every day. Verse 5 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So what does this say about God? I like what James is saying here. God is generous. How many believe that God is generous? Whatever you ask, he says he'll, he'll give you. When you don't know what to do, let me ask you this. When you don't know what to do, do you ask God for wisdom or do you go ask your friend? What's your first, what's your first, first response? I really don't know how to deal with this situation. Are, are you so in tune with what God's doing or are you on your phone and you're contacting your best friend? Well, this has happened in my life. What do you think I should do? I don't know about you. I've been guilty of that. Man, I'm struggling with this. I'm going to call so-and-so, and I'm going to find out what they say about it. But, and God's just like, I'll give you wisdom if you just ask. That's all. Just ask me. And I'm over here on the, and my friend's like, ah, I don't know what I would do in that situation, you know. And God's like, oh, I have the answer right here. All you got to do is ask. All you got to do is ask. So, it, and, and so when we don't know what to do, sometimes our first response is to ask other people versus asking God. And can I tell you this? I believe that there is, there is wisdom in that at times, but I think sometimes we need to put our money where our mouth is and say, hey, God, can you help me? Can you give me wisdom right now? I don't really know how to deal with my child right now. They're, they're just being a little crazy, rambunctious. Can you give me wisdom on, on how to respond and how to deal with that? Instead of checking a blog, checking Facebook, quiet in here, right? God will give us wisdom if we ask him. But here's the catch. Here's the catch to asking for wisdom. This is what we need to know. And verse 6 says this. But let him ask in what? Faith. With some doubting. No, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So to ask for wisdom, we can ask for wisdom, and God will give it to us generously, but this is how we got to ask, in faith. What does that mean? That we believe that you're going to respond. Okay? That we believe that you're going to, no doubting. How many times have you asked God, God, will you heal so-and-so, they're struggling right now. Will you, will you bless their need? But we really are just kind of articulating words and not really meaning what we're saying and not really praying in faith. Anybody ever done that? I have. I'm guilty of that. So, and James goes on to further say, someone who doubts is like the sea, driven and tossed by, uh, by the wind, right? And doubt is this. It's, it's uh, facilitating between trusting God and trusting the world or one's own ability. You know what, something that kills faith in us is, I don't know about you, but I struggle with this. Sometimes rather than trusting God, I trust my own ability, my own giftings, or I get on the phone, or I find a blog, and I, I listen to what someone else says, or the world system. And, and, but to trust God is to this, and, and I don't want, I don't know about you, I don't want to be like the sea. Has anyone ever been out on a sea when the, when the waves were, were moving? You ever been in a storm out on the sea? It's not a fun experience. Not a blast, you know, when you see waves going up and down, right, it's just not a fun situation. But James is saying this, when you doubt, when you don't have faith, that's what you are. The wind's just pushing you here, and it's pushing you there. God is a sure and a, a firm foundation is what the scripture tells us. So James is saying this, that a person must not suppose they will receive anything from the Lord, thus saying faith is crucial to, to uh, in the believer's life, right? So we know that, faith, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God, right? Uh, faith is fundamental to our relationship with Jesus Christ. We know that. Uh, people with doubt are double-minded and they're unstable, Ask yourself this, if you're unstable or you are struggling with the situation, stop and check your faith, measure your faith in that moment. I'm struggling with this situation, I, I, I feel like I should do this or this, and you, you're just, and you, you, know, you know that in your heart, you know that in your life, stop and go, where's my faith at in this? 
Where's that measure of faith? The scripture tells us that God gives us all a measure of faith. And I think we're all different. We're all on different levels. God gives you this much. God gives this person this much. I think some people have ginormous faith. You know, uh, some of us have to work at building our faith. But faith is always measured in quality, not quantity. You know, Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, what? You could say to this mountain, be removed, right? So that's a simple thing. God is not interested in the, the quantity of your faith. He's, me- he's looking at the, the, did I say that right? Yeah, the quantity of your faith. He's looking at the quality of your faith. Thank you. I got that right. Thank you. You helped me out. The quality of your faith. So where is your faith? And, and that's, a, that's something we look at. So if we're double-minded and we're struggling with situations, God's saying this. I've got infinite amounts of wisdom that I want to give you. All I need you to do is ask in faith. Pretty simple. Thanks, James. That helps me out a lot. So next time I don't know what to do, next time I'm struggling with something, all I have to do is go to God and say, hey, God, in faith I'm asking you to please help me and give me wisdom in this situation. And God's like, cool. There you go. So ask in faith, expect in faith, and walk in obedience in faith. Verse 9 says this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will be the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. So the Jewish Christians would remember this. I like this because I was thinking about this. One enemy that the that the Israelites always constantly had, if, you, if you're any student of the, of the word and you go through the Old Testament, that the nation of Israel constantly had, they were constantly on their heels, constantly giving them troubles, was the Philistines. Constantly. And, uh, you know, Israel would be triumphant. They beat Goliath, right? But then the Philistines would come back. Remember the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant? I mean, lots of things, and, and it's a constant. So let me ask you this. What is the Philistine in your life? And I could tell you something that I think that we all struggle with, whether we want to admit it or not admit it, at times is this. One of the, one of the uh, things that I've dealt with in my life is this, simple as this, finances. A Philistine oftentimes in our life is finances. Can I tell you this, as a church, you know what gets in the way of vision often? Finances. We want to do this, but we really don't have And you know what that is? That's like a Goliath sitting there yelling at us saying, oh, come on. You can't do it because. It's pretty interesting to me. I I thought about this. And so the Jewish people who were scattered would know this. They they would know that uh, that that was an enemy. Knowing, Knowing this, James reminded us that regardless of our financial situation, that we are we are exalted. Here's the here's the thing. Whether you're rich or poor, doesn't matter. And this is where you need this. These are two perspectives, whether you're rich or poor. I don't know where the middle class is here, but okay, whether you're rich or poor. The poor person, you're going to be exalted. And the rich person, guess what? You're not going to take any of it with you. And at the end of the day, what matters is not how much money you have in, in your life, but what matters at the end of the day is that you know and understand God's economy. You know God's economy is different than our economy. It doesn't matter who the president of the United States is. God's economy is different than your economy. Your trust should not be, and now listen, we live in society. We have to live in society. We have to do things. We have to, to live our lives, and I think you ought to vote, and I think you ought, to, you ought to live your life and have your views. That's perfectly, perfectly fine. But understand this. My hope does not come from a presidential candidate. I don't care if he's blue, red, purple, green, yellow, whatever political party you want to throw in there. It doesn't matter. My hope is not founded on a candidate or uh, a political ideology. And my hope is not built on the economy of the United States. God bless our economy. I love our nation. I still believe that we are in the greatest nation in the world. I believe that. He's like, well, it's been a rough day. You know what? I still believe that we are in the greatest nation in the world. So perspective is often it, it is a huge thing. So whether we are worried about poverty, some of us may be there. Whether we're worried about poverty or weighted down by our riches, we can be absolutely free if we keep a heavenly perspective. One way or the other, whether you're rich or poor, hey, 
This is not my home. I'm just passing through here. The point is this. Rich or poor, get an eternal perspective on in trials and in our Christian walk. So um, understand that. So verse 12 says this. Blessed be the man who remains steadfast under trial. Steadfast meaning patient. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised for those who love him. Trials not only should end in spiritual maturity, but also, Scripture tells us, also in crowns in heaven are given. So, you're like, so what? Big deal. Ain't going to no crown now. It ain't, it ain't benefiting me now, right? Well, our goal should be this. As believers, is this. It should be Matthew 25, 21. We ought to long for the day that we are in God's kingdom to hear this. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You know what that means? That you're going to be living diligently like God wants you to live here on this earth. In order to hear that, you need to live right in this realm. We're all, okay, if you have Christ in your heart, we're all going to heaven. But, man, the ultimate goal should be that to hear Jesus say that one day. Amen. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast or happy is the man who is patient under trials. Why? Because he trusts God and not himself. Okay? Moving. Verse 13 says this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Let me rephrase that. Or let me say it again. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. Now, you heard me talk about trials, and you heard me talk about tempta temptation. Okay? See the difference between a trial and a temptation? God is not going to tempt you and put you in a place that is going to make you fall in sin. That's not who he is. It's not what he wants to accomplish. Now, if you're being tempted by something, as a matter of fact, Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation is overtaking you except such as it common to man, but God is faithful and will allow you to be tempted, or will not, or will allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That's God's nature, a way out, Okay. Doesn't mean that you're not going to walk through temptations, and the, but you need to understand something. God's nature is not to tempt you. It's not who he is. Will he let you go through trials? Yes. To what? To show his faithfulness, not to get you to slip up and sin. Now, the devil, his goal is to get you to slip up and, and sin. So, God doesn't tempt. He allows trials. Never be mistaken on that point. Okay? God does not tempt you. That's not what he's trying to do. He is not trying to trip you up. The trial of our faith is to prove this, the faithfulness of God. When we're walking through something, the trial of my faith, when I'm struggling, is to, hey, are you going to trust me or are you not going to trust me, TJ? That's, that's the goal. That's what God is trying to get out of. Are you going to the 11th grade or are you going to stay back in the 10th grade on this one? There's the test. And it's never a temptation or enticement to sin. And this is what I know. I mean, if you think about this, Joseph, you remember the story of Potiphar and Joseph? And Joseph was working in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife, you remember what she did? She made a, a move on him and tried to entice him. And what did Joseph do? He ran. You know what? He found a way out. He found a way out. Now, granted, she got his coat. She, she, she accused him of things. And bad thing, but can I tell you this? God's faithfulness in Joseph's testimony would carry on, and he would eventually get to where God was taking him. Now it was part of the process to getting where he was going, but God made a way out. Next time you're tempted to say something to your spouse that maybe not be good or encouraging, or God forbid a sin, stop and go, Lord, what's the way out here? Oh, I'm sorry. No, I mean, no, no, that's too easy, right? Or next time you're tempted to fall to your own desire or your own lust, whatever that looks like, stop and go, oh, Lord, what is the way out? 
Help me to get out of this situation. You ought to pray each and every day in whatever you're doing, whatever situation. God, if I'm tempted today, help me to find the way out. So next time you're tempted, stop and ask God, where's the way out? Where's the way out? Verse 14 says this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own. You know what? I like that. Own. It means I own it. It was mine. It was mine. It was my desire, God. That, that's the temptation. It was my desire. It, it wasn't your desire, God. It was, it was my desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, becomes, brings forth death, right? Can we, we, I mean, we can all agree on this. Sin always brings forth death. Bottom line, I don't care what it is. When we sin, it always brings forth death. Like it, love it, doesn't matter. Sin will kill relationships. Oh, some people are offended by people, and they don't have a relationship with people because they're offended by something, and they haven't given forgiveness. You know, unforgiveness is a, that's a tough one, right? It will destroy happiness. It'll keep you from being a happy person. Sin will ruin your health. And the best way to show someone that sin, what sin does, is consider this. And I, I love this. This is, a, this is a great, great thing that maybe, you know, if someone doesn't fully understand the capacity of sin, you could tell them this. This is how you know how, sin, how bad sin is. Take them to the foot of the cross. Jesus, a perfect man, lived a perfect life. Okay? None of us are even close. We're not even a, a close second to Jesus. But... Bearing your sin on the cross brought death to a perfect man who came to die for our sins. It was sin that, that caused him to be spit on. It was sin that caused his beard to be plucked. It was sin that caused a crown of thorns to be placed on his head. It was sin that caused nails to be pierced, pierce his hands and feet. It was sin that caused a spear to go into his side. And can I tell you this? A perfect man, Jesus, lived a perfect life, bore sin that day, and carried, carried our weight. Sin always ends in death. Matter of fact, before Jesus died, he would say this, it is finished. Why? He was completing, completing his role. He understood. He bore your sins and mine. Sin always brings death. Verse 16 says this. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Or the King James Version says, don't err. I like that kind of country. Don't err. Don't mess up. Sin always results in death and tragedy. Paul says it like this in Galatians 6, 7. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So understand that. If you sow in sin, guess what? You're going to reap in sin. If you sow in righteousness, guess what? You'll reap in righteousness. If you sow in kindness, you're going to receive kindness. If you sow in mercy, you're going to receive mercy. If you sow in grace, you're going to receive grace. Do you see the principle here? God, that is one of the founding, uh, founding things of the Lord. He is you reap what you sow. Understand that. So if you live right. You, you, you do your best, and, and I understand there's a, it's a struggle as a human being, right? But whatever you're sowing into, guess what? You're going to reap. If you're lazy and slothful, guess what? You're going to reap laziness and slothfulness. If you're an early bird and you're out to get the worm, guess what? You're going to get the worm. Right? Verse 17 says this, every good, I like this part, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Uh, verse 18. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So this is what we need to know about God's nature. Okay, we're going to talk about God's nature right here. It says this. God's, God gives good gifts to us. If you're here today, God's given you a good gift. Because you're here. You're alive. 
You're awake. You have breath in your lungs. You're healthy. I hope. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're sick. But I know. I, I pray not. Right? Think of something good in your life right now. Think of something good in your life. Everyone just think of something. Something good in your life. You have a house. You have heat in your house. That's a good thing. Right? You have a good spouse, a loving spouse. That's a good thing. Your kids are actually doing what you're asking them to do. That's a that's a miracle. Right? Maybe you're a talented artist. God gave you a talent. You know, my neighbor, I, I mentioned him, and uh, one of these days I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get him to come to church. I, uh, and his name's Tony. And Tony was, uh, he gave me his testimony, and he, he said, I, I, he served in Vietnam. And he said, I came home. He said, I, I struggled. He said, I was an alcoholic, and that was my life. He said, and one day I just got so frustrated with myself, I just asked God to help me. I said, God, help me, help me deal with this. And his testimony, what he told me was, God gave me this gift of being an artist, and it replaced every desire I had to drink. That's why he paints pictures. That's why he does chainsaw art. It's interesting, right? When I moved in, he said, I've got a change, I've got a, a Jesus I'm gonna bring to you. And I thought, this ought to be weird. I you know, I was like, oh, this is the first time meeting you, you're gonna bring me a Jesus, you know. And when he brought it, I, I just couldn't help but but look at it and go, you know what? This is something that came from his heart. It's a gift that God has given him. Maybe you have a talent. You have a gift that God has given you. Maybe you could sing. Maybe you could speak. Maybe you have the gift of discernment. That's a great gift to have. Right now, that's a great gift to have. Maybe you have the gift of prayer. Maybe you could pray for people. Maybe you could intercede for people. Those are all great gifts. Can I tell you, every good gift comes from God. It's borrowed. It's not really yours. Don't get your identity tied up into it because it's his anyways, right? Man, it took me a long time to learn that in my life. But when I finally did, it was such a realization that I'm not tied. My identity is not tied to a gift that I have. My identity is tied to Jesus Christ. Man, that was a wake-up call for me. So when we, he says this, when we consider that all good things in our lives come from God, it reminds us to be thankful. In the middle, now we're still talking about trials here. In the middle of trials, guess what? We start thinking about the good that's happening in our lives. We can't help but be thankful. Man, what a great, what a, I don't know about you. Right now, I think one of the best things we can do as a people of God is just be thankful for where we're at right now and what we're doing. And God has sustained us and God has kept us. Well, TJ, I don't know what the future like. It doesn't matter. Trust God. Really, it's it's that simple. Well, don't you struggle? Maybe I do, but you know what? I'm just dumb enough to just trust in God the whole way. Maybe that's not dumb. Maybe that's actually wisdom. So, I like this part in, in verse eighteen. Uh, verse eighteen. Oh no! At the end of verse eighteen, it says, "With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change." Now, what does that mean? There's no variation or shadow due to change. That literally means this: God is not variable. God is not bipolar. He's not up one minute and down the next. God's nature is rock steady. God. God's nature is, is this. And I love this. God is not variable. We as humans, we're variable. You know why? Because I may get up one day and be mad at the world and don't even know why I'm mad at the world. You guys have done it too, right? Nothing goes right. Huge line at Starbucks. You can't get in there. Got to go get a McDonald's. Co- oh, there's a huge line there too, right? But it's, there's no variation of shadow due to the Lord. So look at this. God's not up one second and down the next. God's nature is to be good and to do good. And God doesn't react how I'm, how I'm doing with him. Thank God. His reaction doesn't change. When, when, when I fail him, guess what? His reaction stays the same. He gives grace, right? Thank goodness for that. When I'm faithless, guess what? He's faithful. When I'm weak, guess what? He's strong. When I'm not enough, guess what? He's more than enough. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on and on and on. But this is what we know about God. He's locked into his nature. He's solid. 
and he's a rock. He's, he's, he's a good God with good gifts. Amen? Amen. All right. So, look, we're going to go to this third part. Uh, hopefully, I can, I can do this. we got just a few minutes here. And this third part of this chapter, and it's, it's dynamic because James goes from talking about trials and suffering, and now he's going to hearing and doing. A, a big shift, not really a big shift, but it, it seems like a big shift. Verse 19 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. <coughs> brothers there means brothers and sisters, just so you know, okay. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Oh, my Lord, if we needed that today. You know what? It was interesting. Uh, today I was seeing the events, and I was looking on social media, and everybody had something to say. Not everybody. Not, none of you guys, because you guys are holy and above and, and perfect, right? I'm just kidding. I'm, I don't know. I didn't. If I, whatever. But anyways, so I was, I was watching, and I was seeing so many people's perspective on what to say. After just reading this, studying this, this, this last week, I, I was reminded, you know what, God? I'm so glad you showed me that. I'm so glad that you reminded me that, that Lord, you, you've called us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So instead of making a quick, rash decision on something, sometimes we feel like we've got to just do it really fast. Sometimes the best thing we do is pump the brakes and go, Lord, help me with this at this moment. And I like this because James, he comes out and he's like, oh, yeah, here's a gut punch for you guys. Because I don't know, if I was being persecuted and I was in the early church, I'd be a little bit upset if James was like, oh, yeah, count it all joy. You want us to do that? People are trying to kill us because we're meeting to worship. And you want me to count it all joy? I'd be a little bit upset at that. But he's saying this, be, be slow or be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. You ever wonder, and, and there's a flow to this. In verse 1920, but and you have to follow it uh, through trials. God is God is good, right? God, we're gaining a crown. God brings good gifts, and then be careful. He goes, okay, follow that flow. When we go through this chapter, it says this. We know this. We're going through trials. God is good. You're gaining a crown. God brings good gifts, and then be careful. Okay, be swift to listen and slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak. And slow to anger. God gave us two ears and a tongue for a reason. One tongue for a reason, right? I mean, it's there. God's telling us two ears, one tongue. Slow up. Don't always speak. You don't always have to speak your mind. TJ, that's my First Amendment right. You don't always have to speak your mind. It's not always profitable. It's not always good. That's a tough lesson to learn, Right? My mouth gets me in a lot of trouble. Does your mouth get you in a lot of trouble? <laughs> my mouth, ask my wife. My mouth gets me in a lot of trouble. And here's the thing. I could save a lot of heartache sometimes if I would just listen. Don't say so much. Guess what? It would probably help me not to get angry. Right? I worked with a superintendent. I was working with a company that we were working with, ExxonMobil, when I worked in the oil field. And this superintendent was an older guy, and uh, I just, I, I love this guy. I don't know why. He just had a great attitude. He always had a good attitude in front of everybody. No matter what was going on, the sky could be falling, and he would be like, hey, how are you doing, you know? And he was just one of those people that you wanted to be around. But something amazed me about him. Uh, and coming up to working with him in the meetings, he was kind of the lead on a lot of these meetings. But he amazed me because he would meet someone one day, and he would never forget their name. And I was so impressed with that. I thought, man, if I can learn anything from this guy, that's what I need to learn from this guy. And one day I asked him, I said, I need to ask you something. I said, because you remember everybody's name. And I know you've worked here where I live in California, and you've worked in Texas, and you've worked in Louisiana. But you don't forget people's names. And I need you to tell me how in the world you are doing that. And he said something that was super pro profound to me. And it made me stop and I began to evaluate. And I have to really even check myself to this, to this day. He said, this is what I do. He said, when I meet someone, he said, when they're talking to me and I ask them, hey, how are you doing? And what is your name? He said, I stop and listen to what they're saying. When they tell me their name, I'm taking inventory of their name. I'm not thinking about what I'm about to say next. And I was like, oh, that's so smart. 
you're old, but you're smart. No, I'm just kidding. And so I've tried that in my life. But, you know, my tendency is this. You know, when someone comes to talk to me, I'm already thinking about the next thing I'm going to say, regardless of whatever they're saying. But James is telling us, hey, hey, slow down. It's good to hear. Listen, listen, listen. So verse 20 says this. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I have a tendency to pop off with my mouth. Anybody with me? Does that ever get you anywhere? Never has for me. Might make me feel better for a moment, but then it always ends bad, right? Anybody ever fly off of the handle at your spouse or your kids or your boss? And when you're doing that, what do you do? Deep down inside, you're like, what am I doing? Why am I, why am I, why am I being this way? Are you, is anyone else that real when you're doing that? You don't want to think that way. And with my mouth, sometimes I only make things worse. And, and then when my mouth is also controlled by my anger, that makes it even ten times worse, right? Because I say things I shouldn't say. I do things that I shouldn't do, right? You ought to underline that verse in your Bible. And think on that verse when you're about to fly off the handle. Go, whoo! For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I'm going to pull it in. I think what you're trying to say. No, I'm just kidding. It wouldn't be that way. But our, our anger never accomplishes anything that proves to be right, especially in your trial. If you've ever, ever been angry at God, anybody ever been angry at God? It ever produced anything for you? No? That's what I thought. And you say, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. And I can tell you this, don't give them a piece of your mind. You need all the pieces you have, okay? James, in essence, is saying this. Can I give you the nice, oh, well, <laughs> I'm going to give you the, just the unpolitically correct way. James is doing this. He's saying this in this, these verses. Shut up. Whoa, that's pretty bold, PJ. Why would you say that? That's what he's saying. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just shut our mouth. Look here, if I'm in a trial and, and I am to ask God for wisdom and to trust in God, sometimes we don't hear it, but let's look ahead. And James gives us some good reasons why we don't hear fully. And I think what I'll do is I'll stop there on verse 21, and we'll come in right there. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of punch to this. There's a lot of punch to James. And I, I know we covered a lot of ground really fast there. And verse uh, chapter 2 is not as long next week, and so hopefully... We'll be able to crush through these last four verses. But I want to do something tonight. Um, this week, think about the book of James. When you're mad and something doesn't go your way at work, when your spouse says something that you sh they shouldn't say to you, stop, listen. Stop and think, is this, is this going to be good? Is this going to be bad if I say this? Is this going to ben be beneficial? Oh, man, you ought to preface everything you say. Is, is this going to be beneficial? You, you'll end up not saying very much, probably. <laughs> but consider that. So let's do that. I want to do this before we leave. I know our nation is in a, a very unique spot tonight. But can I tell you this, that nothing shakes God. Nothing shakes God. Our, our foundation is in Jesus Christ and him alone. When the wind blows and the sea is, is crazy and feels like everything's going crazy and you're looking left and right, tune out what, what the news is saying. I'm not saying don't understand. I'm not saying you, don't have, you shouldn't watch the news, but sometimes that's not beneficial to you. It's not helping your situation. But I want to do this tonight before we leave. I just want to, I want to pray for our nation and uh, pray for our leaders, regardless if you agree or disagree with them, whoever they are. Weird place in America right now. Whatever that looks like, we need to pray for all of our leaders. We ought to pray for their hearts. Whether you agree with them politically or don't agree with them, we need to pray for them. Because let me tell you something. You may not like how they are politically, but they have a soul and God loves them. I'm, tall, I'm, I'm, hey, I'm telling you this year, I am trying to look through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of Jesus. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask, and I didn't ask her to do this, but I'm going to ask Sula to come up here.
And she's like, oh, I'm going to throw me under the bus right now. But I'm going to ask her to lead us in prayer tonight um, as we end. And, uh, and, and thank you guys for coming. And you guys have been gracious tonight. And uh, hopefully you, you got something out of this. And uh, we'll continue on next week. And hopefully we'll get through chapter two and we'll, we'll get on pace. I'm a little slow, sorry. Um, but we'll get on pace. So I'm going to ask Sula to do this and pray for us uh, tonight.